Welcome everyone to Rock M Nation Podcast. Uh, this is another episode of Dive Cuts. We are season five, episode two, rocking out to the uh, the, the the new jams. Matt, did you listen to the po- last podcast? Did you did you did you get a good feel for the new intro music? I'm just glad that you were able to use Farside. You've talked about using that before, um, so I'm glad that you finally got around <laughs> to uh, using. The intro music you, you you've coveted for so long. Um, well, I know it's so, a good day for you. Yeah, uh, clearly you didn't listen <laughs> to the music. It is not far side. I realize there uh, there may be some uh, some confusion on that one because it is a band that kind of sounds like the far side. Um, I did listen. I just thought it was far side. I'm sorry that my if there's a hole in my sort of. Uh, musical knowledge it's like hip-hop from 1989 like underground hip-hop from 1989 to 1994 which i feel like you that's like your sweet spot i was probably i was one probably too young and i also have not gotten back that far uh outside of like you know i've got five on it or something i don't think like somebody was like hey listen to this it's about weed or something back in like middle school that's probably as close as i've gotten to like that era of hip hop. Well, so the far side is probably like my connection to them uh, was uh, lab cab. California came out. I want to say in 94. Um, and I was still like really, really rocking that album, um, which would have been my like junior and senior year. So I was, uh, I was heavily invested and and that album specifically, even though like Bizarre Ride Two is a uh, is a classic, and I love it dearly. Um, but this actual track is uh, is by Lords of the Underground, um, which I'm not exactly sure on the timeline. I want to say it like Chief Raka is the name of the track. I want to say it more like ninety. I was going to say 93 and I just, I just Googled it and it's released in 93. So how about that? Um, yeah. So Lords of the Underground, Chief Rock is the new intro music. Uh, I was a big, big hip hop head in the uh, early mid nineties, probably up until I would say 98 when I started to uh, diversify my taste a little bit. Um, and also like, that's when I feel like we're really getting sidetracked early. I haven't even given you an intro, uh, coming from the plains of Indiana, uh, Matthew J. Harris, Matt, how are you? Um, well, I didn't do anything <laughs> here. I'm just letting you go. So I, I don't, and I, now, now I don't want to get sidetracked from this thought because, uh, I feel what, what started to lead me away from a lot of hip hop was because a lot of the, the very popular hip hop at the time was more of like the masterpiece stuff. And I just, I felt like that was very low quality. I didn't really enjoy whoa, whoa, it. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You, you don't enjoy, you know, Trigger Man beats in New Orleans Bounce? So I feel like there's a little bit of, some of the early, early No Limit stuff is, is actually was okay. It's just when they started putting an album out like every week, and it was like, here's the latest thing. And it's like the same, it was the same album over and over with a different rapper. Uh, and it was, it was not good. 
Um, and so, like, I I stuck through um, with like Outcast and and you know and groups like that that were that were already like prevalent by the early and mid nineties. I think Outcast came around in like ninety four. Yeah, I can't remember when Equimini came out. I think it was probably mid nineties. But I had to well, go back well, and do that one. Well, Equimini uh, was what their third album. Yeah, I think so. But that's the one that like that was like ninety. I want to say it was like that was more late ninety. I was going to say like ninety seven or yeah, eight. it would have been ninety seven or ninety eight because then Stankonia was after that one. I think so. That's... Yeah, yeah, because like um, Southern playlist, Southern playlistic Cadillac music uh, was. I want to say it was ninety four. Um, so I was, I really liked that one, but AT Aliens is still my all time favorite, uh, outcast album. Um, so that's a, a, a brief history of, of me and my relationship with hip hop. Um, if you, if you want to, you know, talk Chuck D, uh, with me, just, just, you know, at me on Twitter and we'll, we'll get into it. Cause that's, that's my dude also. Uh, and maybe I'm also st- stalling Matt because this is a Mizzou bad basketball podcast. Uh, and there's virtually nothing going on right now other than M- Mizzou is releasing like meet our new team <laughs> videos <laughs> because there's there's a new guy like every few days that they have to like introduce to, you know, the fan base is like, all right, you know, and, and today it came out. It was it was Trevor Brazil uh, before that they, they've done uh I think they did Gordon. The, yeah, they did all the transfers first. And now I think we're going alphabetical probably through the freshmen. It's probably what we're doing. Okay, yeah, that makes point. sense. Um, get get all the transfers done, and then let's just start roll calling them by last name. Uh, a very sixth grade way to go about introducing your team to the fan base. Um, but yeah, uh, Brazil today uh, shockingly said he liked to dunk. I, I I would not have discerned that at all from having watched any of his t- of his tape at all, Sam. That he likes dunking. So uh, I I just want to like. I, I and and I don't mean this to like you know make fun of of Trevin who uh you know by all accounts seems like a great kid and I'm really looking forward to uh what kind of player he can be. Um but if if you can dunk like I I don't know that I've ever met anybody who like can Doesn't dunk like and like dunk. it's like I don't like dunking. Like <laughs> I used to be able to dunk and I loved it. Like it like this it's even when I was coaching um I remember like after practice, like, you know, I'm feeling a little bouncy today. So I would, I would, you know, I would try and dunk and it's, it's fun. Like dunking is fun. I can't dunk. And so I'm envious of those who can. And you right, know, but like you, surely you've like, you've dunked on like a, like a lower rim or something like that at some point, right? Like nine and a half was probably the highest I could go. Like to get it, not eking it over or feeling like, I don't but you've it... you've accomplished a dunk just on a not a ten foot yeah. rim, yeah, yeah, and and it was fun, right? Oh yeah, it was great. Like so, who doesn't love that? To... <laughs> so uh, I appreciate Trevin, you know, showing us. Uh, I guess maybe the brighter side of his personality. Um, breaking news: uh, dunking. Everyone is loves fun. dunking. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm saying here. Like it, everyone loves it, but. Uh no, they're they're rolling the guys out. Um and you know, hopefully the fan base will not need like a note card in front of them when the season starts. I feel like half the first game is just gonna be us being like having to reintroduce people as they check in from the scorers table on Twitter being like, 
this is so-and-so. He's from here. It's going to be a fantastic moment of public education for people just checking in and tuning into the basketball season. But good on the program for trying to at least get on the jump early and uh, and take care of that process. So since we last uh, recorded, there really hasn't been a lot that is, uh, that's gone on. However, um, we do have the official non-con uh, schedule. Um, I figure we could knock out some quick recruiting notes. Um, yep. We can do a little, little cleanup there. Uh, because Mark Mitchell announced his, his top schools list, and Mizzou made the cut, Matt. Yes, yes, they did. Um, it was the exact same list of schools that he took official visits to in June. <laughs> I, yeah, uh, I was, I was kind of hoping there would be like a curveball thrown when he like I'm announcing my top schools. It's like, and he announced it as like, yeah, I mean, we we know, bud, like we we knew that. Yeah, uh, like I appreciate you putting the graphic together. Like that, it looks it looks great. What was it? A tip ten edit? Yep, yep. Uh, look good. Um, Solid. You know, accommodations there, but there was nothing surprising. Um, we still believe it's a battle between UCLA and Duke, with Duke possibly leading at this stage. Um, Missouri is at the back of the pack. And, I, you know, like, I don't, I don't really take a whole lot of uh, interest in that uh, recruitment, although you always want to see a little kid do well. Um, you know, there's a history of uh, Kansas City kids going to UCLA and having nice careers. Mm-hmm. It's not really that I can remember a long history of uh, Kansas City kids going to Duke. No, it would probably be more St. Louis guys with what, like Carowell, Tatum. And yeah. It's like either Duke or Florida for St. Louis guys is, yeah. what, is what it's been. So a uh, little bit interesting there. On the other side of the state, yeah, it's UCLA. Uh, Rush, and then I'm trying to remember uh, what. What was it? Uh, Earl Earl Watson. Earl Watson. Earl Watson was the AC kid who also went out there. So yep, uh, those was, are the, those are the three. Those are the three uh, schools that have been most historically consistent at pillaging in-state talent. <laughs> so it was Jerron Rush. Yeah, and then Kareem went to Mizzou, mm-hmm. and Brandon went to KU. Yep. Was and that was it. That was it. That was okay. all from the Rush clan. Uh. And Jerron was supposed to be the best one, and and Kareem had a longer NBA career, didn't he? Yeah, but I think Jerron also had like the NCAA issues and then some injury stuff that derailed him. So, but like in high school, if you had looked at prospects, you would have said it would have been Jerron. Um, but I always liked out of all the three, I I just liked Kareem's game better. It was so smooth, just so fluid, just multifaceted. There felt like that was just. A, he was kind of an elegant player to watch. I always felt like him and Jimmy McKinney were fantastic because there wasn't like a lack of physicality there, but they were just so smooth, so polished, you know, played with so much control, able to score in different ways. Those were probably two of my favorite high school guys to watch. And that was like, that was also back in time when like the basketball uniforms, like those, those guys, if you were skinny, you were just like swimming in your uniform. So like, you know, Kareem would do like a shot fake, and like half uh, his jersey would go flying. <laughs> yeah, and like it's just like he he was it, it was basically like he had a veil behind him with uh you know yeah. on, on the dribble drive. Yep. Uh, but yeah, so so Mitchell is uh is not very likely. We're still kind of waiting on on Shaw. Shaw, I can't remember if we talked about like he released his top six, six schools. And then he's on, like, 
nothing's really surprising. Yeah. Uh, at this point, everybody seems to think it's either Kansas or Missouri. Um, I think Oklahoma state is a little bit of a dark horse. Um, although I, I did send you the tweet, um, that Oklahoma state offered Aiden's sister, who's yep. also a very, very good basketball player, uh, mm-hmm. and has an offer, uh, to play at Missouri and Kansas and Arkansas. So yeah. Those, those are the four schools that have offered both of them. Uh, the only thing notable there is Shaw is not uh, going to go to Link Academy, uh, which had become a repository for Mocan guys. They had basically been putting all the Mocan 17U guys down at uh, this prep school in Branson. And Aiden, you know, last week on the first day of school for his home district, Blue Valley, um, on the Joko side of the border um, in Kansas City, said, Actually, I'm not going anywhere. I'm staying here and playing. So that's kind of cool. Um, you know, I don't begrudge kids either way. You know, it's their life. It's their choice for what they feel like they want to do in their development. But I do think it's cool that Shaw's going to stay at his home school and kind of finish up his career there and, and you know, try and do what he's going to do there. And I always tend to think if you can – if you're dominating at that level, you know, do you need to go to a prep school – and, you know, show you can play a national schedule and you can dominate that. You know, Aiden Shaw's a top 50 kid who, if you look at what he did last year for Blue Valley, there's no question that he, like, handled that competition easily. So I, I'm just kind of glad that he's going to stay there and at least finish it out with his teammates, finish it out with the guys he grew up with and stuff. So that's kind of cool. Um, he's also supposedly going to decide by his birthday, which is September 17. So it seems like this thing is coming to a head sometime in the next two and a half weeks. Um, and there'll be some clarity there. And if, uh, you know, he's going to come to Missouri, you know, we could go back through the tea leaves and the machinations (laughs) again here, but realistically, Missouri has the roster spot. He could be at the top of the board for them. Kansas is looking at some other options right now. And the other schools like Illinois, not Illinois, but Iowa and Maryland seem to be farther back in the pack. And Oklahoma state is just a, I have no clue what's going on there or any sense of it. You know, maybe he shocks everyone and picks Oklahoma State, but the sense seems to be that it's Missouri and Kansas in this fight right now. So, uh, just only real change is he's staying home, and we kind of have an idea of when he's going to make a decision by. And other than that, the uh, Chandler Jackson is sort of pushing back his timeline. He's now looking at releasing by the end of the month a top ten list, which is just um, absurd, man. Just absurd. I, like, yeah, yeah, like that. Cut the I, list in half, man. That's how many are actually in place. <laughs> right. Like, and take um, Auburn out because Auburn just filled your spot at point guard. Like, it, you know, Kansas offered him, which, you know, that's a that's a big one for him. He's going to, you know, go take in, you know, Night at the Fog, you know, in mid-October. There's going to be some other visits that he's doing. So I think it's... Is Snoop Dogg going to be at Night at the Fog? I hope so. I, 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 <laughs> I'm all for, you know, just, you know, making that, you know, making it fun, you know, adding a little bit of edge to it. I, I didn't mind that Snoop did that a year ago. I kind of liked it. I, I kind of liked that they flouted the whole thing and had him out there with, you know, dancers and cash flying around. I, I was a fan of that. But um, <laughs> at no. this point, like, just just embrace, you know, the image, right? Like, I and I kind of feel like that's what, you know, self was doing when he appeared with the Adidas shirt and like the gold chains, like 
there's no way you can't, after being named in an FBI report, like there's no way that you can do that photo shoot and like not think about the connections to the FBI report that it, that, that it would have. Like, I, I think, I think that's essentially Bill self kind of leaning into it. And yeah. Yeah. And he, it turns out he got a lifetime contract out of it. So eh, he's, he's uh, untouchable as they say, but yeah, that's pretty much the only news at this point on the board. I think, you know, you're just sort of in a waiting game now it's list cutting season. It's, Decision time. I think half the top 150 have reached decisions. We'll probably see that ramp up through September and October. You know, I'm interested how many of these guys decide to just pull the trigger now and, you know, claim a spot, you know, before, you know, coaches decide to go into the spring and see what the portal has. I think that's going to force some guys to avoid trying to play out this year and see if they can up their offers a little bit. I think folks are probably going to be more keen to put their marker down and take a spot, but we'll see. Um, it feels like you need Mitchell and Shaw to make moves, and then you can kind of see what follows from that. If if they don't land either, there are some options behind them, but for now, I think that that's where the focus stays, obviously, is on those two. Yeah, and uh, who knows what the story is with Jason Green. Um I mean, I, I think you uh, kind of mentioned before that he was looking at taking some fall visits. We'll Nothing's see what happens to... if Missouri is one of them. I mean, if by the time that he's like ready to schedule visits, like Aiden Shaw is committed, I mean, does Missouri continue to go down that road? Or, or do they sort of view, you know, Green as like a backup to Shaw versus... Um... I, I tend to look at timelines here. Um, you know, first of all, Mitchell has said he's not deciding until December. So, you know, if well, and that's also like the you know the the benefit of being a five star kid, like you get to dictate the timeline for yeah. Anything. So, realistically, if you're going to hang in there, but to me, the the real question is is what Shaw does. So in the next two and a half weeks, you know, if Shaw comes off the board and it's not Missouri, you know, where do you look? Do you look to Green? Do you look to a guy like John Loveless, you know, who got an offer in June but didn't really have the blow up. Uh, that you know, you might have thought would have happened there. He's now at We Are United, which is you know, Robbie Anders Prep School down in Springfield. Um, everything else after that, the board looks pretty vacant at this point. You know, it, it seems like you're gonna ride with Shaw and Mitchell, and then you'll try and see whether options exist behind them. But as for Green, I haven't seen any new visits yet. Um, for him, so, but he's always also been kind of considered. A Nebraska lean. Uh, they've been recruiting him since he was a freshman in high school out of Omaha. He's an Omaha kid, so we'll see. But there's, you know, it's well, that and time. he's he's a really good student too. Like, I mean, shouldn't uh, that give him some sense not to go to Nebraska and and maybe maybe take Stanford up on their offer? Uh, we'll see. Um, <laughs> Northwestern and Stanford have offered him, so he's he's got those in hand, but. And yeah. and let, let let's be honest. If uh if if you could like teleport into his head and just say, all right, if you're looking at an academic, academic forward institution, and you have Stanford, or Northwestern, and no offense to Northwestern, uh, but that's in Chicago. And I don't know if you've ever been in Chicago in the winter time. I have. It, it sucks. 
And uh, I mean, you're acting like Omaha, like Omaha, <laughs> like Omaha in the winter is a, a wonderful place to be. No, no, I just like I, I'm thinking that I would rather, um, you know, like where. Okay, so it does get a little cloudy and rainy in the winter, but otherwise it's it's uh it's yeah. temperate. I I would say Stanford just because I think you know that Jared Haas is probably on a little firmer ground maybe than you know Northwestern's coach is at the moment. Also Green has a former high school teammate who's on the roster out there. So there's a connection there, good academics. You know, coach seems to be on a decent footing. Stanford I think is probably in better shape just overall as a program you know so I, if i had my choice i would pick stanford but that's just me um so yeah we're sort of in a holding pattern on the recruiting front no 2023 offers have gone out yet um it'll be interesting what happens in september and october uh next month you can start to go into gyms staffs can go out on the road and start watching open gyms so do you start seeing some movement in that 2023 class missouri had um, Bolivar's Kyle Pock on campus last weekend. And Sam, you know, I, I enjoy Kyle Pock shooting motion, uh, quite a bit. Uh, but he, he can shoot the rock that he can, um, put up 30 and 12 in a state title game for Bolivar. So, um, I think that was a quarterfinal game. Was it a quarterfinal game? That, he's interesting because Bolivar very, very much plays, uh, something their offense and their pace is something you would feel very, very comfortable seeing in Hoosiers it is grind it it is not up tempo um Pac is a really really skilled kid um I wouldn't say he's a super athlete but he's got positional size um he's question, like six six or, or he's six 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 seven yeah like the question's going to be can you how do you have him as a switch defender and guarding college wings and college guards but if you're asking for a, if you're looking for a guy who you can put on the wing or in the corner and stroke it, it is that kid. That kid. <laughs> we, we've watched some full games and he can bang them in when he gets rolling. So yeah, uh, he's 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 got one elite skill and it's really elite. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens there. But that's in a way, what, like in a way, he does kind of remind me a little bit. Uh, I got of, Matt Lawrence is what I was gonna go with. Well, I, I was I was gonna say Jared Ritter. Um, yeah, you know, he Ritter is a Kickapoo kid who had some Missouri interest, originally committed to uh, Xavier. Xavier. I think everybody sort of figured out pretty early on that he could not defend. Um, and so I think the difference between, and you know, maybe this is why Matt Lawrence is a perhaps, a, I mean, if, if he wants to be six eight, <laughs> great. Uh, I think, I think that kind of length, um, help Matt be at least an adequate defender off ball and and like he was good he positionally was, and good he, in within the scheme defensively in the half court and I, I would also like to point out that playing for Mike Anderson he had the benefit of being on the floor with four other like really good defenders yeah who could kind of mask the fact that that he was going to get beat off the dribble um yeah with some frequency Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so if, if that's a situation you're looking at, then I think, you know, Pac is a guy who can make a lot of sense. However, um, let's wait and see if they offer. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't really expect a whole lot of 2023 action happening and, and, until they can actually get and see some, some guys. Um, I, I am kind of curious to see, uh, because 
by a lot of accounts, that should be a larger class. But, you know, Zoe's already kind of talked about how he's more than willing to, to go into the transfer portal and, and, and pluck some bodies out of there. Um, yeah, they're looking at four bodies, assuming no transfers go out. Like, there's no other roster movement. They just fill the two openings they have this cycle. Everybody comes back. They'd be looking at four slots in the 2023 class. Probably two in the backcourt. They'd probably need a wing to replace Deshaun Gordon and probably a hybrid 3-4 guy to replace Kobe, if you were looking at that. So two ball handlers, we'll just say that. Um, A wing and then a hybrid are probably what the needs would be right now today barring no other movement well so hard pivot um because i think that that topic is stretched out um hard pivot to the non-conference schedule i have already started doing a little bit of a preview um planning on writing similar previews to uh each of the non-conference opponents um very clearly we'll have more to say about teams like Kansas and, uh, and Illinois, then I will Eastern Illinois and Northern Illinois. And uh, although I do find it interesting that um, he got two Illinois directional schools uh, and no Missouri directional schools. Because UMKC isn't really a directional school. It's a UM system school. Yeah. Uh, but they don't have a direction in their name. No, they don't. We don't have a. <laughs> you know, if they wanted to play Northwest Missouri State, that'd be that'd be fun. I would enjoy seeing them play Northwest Missouri State, uh, the D two national champs. So I think that'd be fun if they brought them down from Maryville. Um, they can't play Truman State. Um, and then Semo would be interesting. You know, I thought they might do that just because Brad Corns, a former K State. Assistant, so there's that connection with um, Bruce Weber, who obviously has a tie to Zoe. So maybe hey, I thought you'd see that. I really wish they'd put SMS back on the schedule under Missouri State. Pardon me. Uh, I don't know. Sorry. Yeah, really, really piss off the the most state alums um, by saying yep. SMS. Don't don't say Springfield Teachers College by any stretch. Uh, I, 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 I don't <laughs> think I'd go that far. Um, but no, I thought it would have been fun to to play Missouri State. I think you know naming controversy aside as someone who was there during that legislative battle and the fight over <laughs> which letters were going to get used. I, I get it, but you know, just I'm all for playing more regional games. You talked about it a year ago when they were putting together the COVID schedule. I'm all for playing teams in your backyard, playing teams that are going to have some resonance there. Um, and it was sort of why I liked the series with Wichita state. Um, you know, I wish, you know, we've talked repeatedly in the past about how we wish we wouldn't be, a, you know, against playing slew at all. You know, I, I think that, you know, the non-conference schedule is a time to generate interest, you know, and a time to, you know, put together compelling matchups here locally. It's harder now to get home and homes with top end, like teams like Illinois and Kansas, which is why I'm really impressed that Missouri, you know, which is why I'm happy Missouri brought back border war or Jeff Long before he got fired at Kansas decided to bring <laughs> yeah. back border war because that's a really hard thing to get on the docket. Um, so, you know, if you can't get those kinds of matchups lined up all the time, I'd lean more in towards like 
SLU's a quality A10 program. Like they're consistently going to be a top, you know, they should be if Travis is doing his job, a top 100 net team. That should be a quality game on your schedule. You know, if, if Dana could get something going down there, that's a top 150 game. It's in your backyard. It's got interest there. You know, to me, that's that's more interesting. And if you're going to talk, and people will talk about, well, it it only helps those teams and doesn't help Missouri as much. My response is, well, if Missouri's the program you think it is, beat those teams. Like that's that's always been my position. Like I don't play 4D chess here. I don't worry about like the implications of the perceptions of playing those teams or what if you lose to them. If you're Missouri and if your program is healthy, beat them. And you know that that's what it, that's what it comes down to. So uh, I think this schedule is as close to that as you could hope for realistically. Like there's no directional school, there's no Missouri State, no SLU, but it's it's heavy on the regional matchups and, and, and I like what they've done, at least from like, you know, the you know, history with some of these games and also sort of the proximity and the quality of the program. So off the top rope, I, I really like the non con schedule as you know, if I was just to put on neutral lenses, I I, I like what they've done in putting it together. Well, yeah, if you're a um, on the, the chicken little side and, and you want to kind of do the whole uh, Ben Helen thing and just rack up a bunch of non-conference wins against, you know, terrible directional schools. That don't help you at all come March. Uh, yeah, then this is this is not the schedule for you. Um, but I, and this is one of the things that I do. Uh, sort of admire about Conzo is he's not he's not about dodging competition. Now I do think he is careful uh, in his scheduling. Look at the I, first three home games for evidence of that. Well, right, like like these are all uh, like solid teams in their conference, like historically, um, you know, but teams that are in transition. Uh, and so, like, it makes sense that you would take uh, Central Michigan, you know, UMKC and, and Northern Illinois, uh, you know, teams that are are not very likely to beat you at this point. Um, but I think anytime you, you schedule a team out of the MAC, like, you're scheduling uh, a team that has the potential to at least provide a, a good win. And not like a, a great win, but, you know, like it's not going to be like, oh, look at this, you know, turd win. Uh, they, they they beat like Southeast Louisiana or Maryland Eastern Shore or somebody like that. You know, it's just like you, you are getting uh, one of the, the better mid-major leagues. And even even though it's, you know, Central Michigan is likely going to be a bottom dweller this year, um, just playing those other solid mid-major teams will help their overall uh, you know, profile. I mean, Central Michigan coaching change, Eastern Illinois coaching change, Northern Illinois coaching change. Um, if you look at what those teams are bringing back, um, they weren't good teams. They're all forecasted. Well, and was was Corn was he up for that Central Michigan job before Calipari sort of? No, I think Barbie at them. That was Western Michigan the year before, where he'd been. Is that what so that was? Yeah. Okay. Um, and they just decided to keep the assistant because they wanted to save cash i think <laughs> so yeah central michigan if you look at bart torvik um i'm using torvik for this one instead of kim pom because torvik's got his projections out kim pom does not uh central michigan's forecasted to finish 300th 
Eastern Illinois 313, Northern Illinois 314. Those are some empty calories, but you know, you can afford to take that when you are playing Illinois, the number five team, Kansas, the number six team, potentially Florida State, the number twenty eight team, and Wichita State, number forty four. And you're on the road at at none of those games Liberty. are at home. None of those games are at only Wichita State is at home. Out of their five toughest games, just one Wichita State is at home. Now you could say Illinois is kind of a home game because it's neutral, but still, that's that's a tough environment. So yeah, um, the top end of the schedule is is salty. So if you're gonna tell me that you know they backloaded it with three sub 300 teams, that's fine because even with that, their average like ranking for their non-con opponent is like 138, which is still I think like their second or third best they've had here. It's strictly in the middle of the road. So, Well, and I really know. thought we were going to get like another like Alabama A&M yeah, I thought they might wait, game like wait. Right, right after Christmas. Yeah, they, they, they've done that in the past where they've done one final tune-up before SEC play, and they didn't do that this year. So they did not take the 13th game that they could have with the MTE exemption. So they'll only have 30. It'll be interesting to see you know, what that does record-wise. I think you and I thought that they might take another light opponent, somebody like between 150 and 200, a, you know, a quality mid-major program that maybe lost a lot of veterans, but it's been pretty solid historically. They didn't do that. You know, that's been something they've done, like with Stephen F. Austin or a Wofford or Northern Kentucky. They've found kind of one of those teams who was a pretty feisty mid-major but was doing some retooling and plugged them in somewhere. They didn't do that this year. Um, they've It's top-end talent. Top in teams, um, Utah and Iowa State, even are high major programs, but both of those teams are going through coaching changes and had massive roster turnover. So, like realistically, you can look at the half of this, you know, non-con schedule practically is teams that underwent a coaching change and are doing massive change, and then five really, really, really good teams, five or six really, really good teams on the top end. Um, the Liberty matchup is going to be interesting. That's a team that's basically bringing everyone back from an NCAA tournament squad. That's going to be, you know, pretty early in the non-con slate. You know, I'm looking at when that's going to be. Yeah, that's going to be in a sneaky tough stretch. There, everyone's kind of looking at that Kansas, Utah, Illinois run, and I'm looking at that Florida State, Wichita State, Liberty stretch. That's a that's a sneaky stretch where I think if you're Missouri and you're a team that you know maybe wants to surprise people and maybe kind of you know reset expectations, that's a stretch where you may play like Florida State, who, who's projected at 28th, Wichita State, who's 44 at number 44. That's at home, and you get Liberty, who is projected at 57th on the road. If you can find a way to get two wins out of three there. And maybe you started three and one, you've got a okay start to non-con, and you know you could probably try and hopefully pry out one out of three against Kansas, Utah, and Illinois. Well, if you're but, if you're playing Florida State, you've probably started four and zero. Oh. Yeah, yeah. So you've got three sub. You've got a win over the number three hundred team, two nineteen, three fourteen, SMU who is projected at one oh two. So you could take a loss to Florida State, but then if you were to beat Wichita State and Liberty, 
that's not a bad start to non-con whatsoever. You'd probably have three top 100-ish wins, only one loss. You'd be six and one. Yeah, if you if you start the season six and one, I I think you have to be really happy. Really that. happy, you know, especially considering the roster turnover. And I realize mm-hmm. there's a lot of teams that are dealing with the same same level of turnover. I mean, maybe not to the total degree that Missouri is, but you know, there's there's a lot of turmoil within college basketball this year. Yeah, and and that's why I come back to that that Liberty game is kind of a swing game for you. You know, you'd hope that Missouri, you know, might be able to hold serve against Wichita State at home. But if they can't, then that Liberty game kind of becomes important because now you're staring at four and three, you know, potentially with, you know, a borderline top 100 win. You're going to beat Eastern Illinois, but you're not really going to have anything on your resume. You know, not that we should be, not that I don't think anyone's talking about an NCAA tournament bid this year, but just if you're looking to try and do some quality work in non-con, that's a stretch where I think you can maybe pick up some wins that might age pretty well throughout the course of the year. Um, you know, I, you know, you look at how Missouri's performed historically under Conzo against top 50 teams. You know, it's, it's been, um, I think they're like four and seven in his time here. So realistically, if you're looking at those Kansas and Illinois games, you might want to chalk those up as two losses. The Utah, I think people are, need to look at what happened at Utah. They're sitting at number 134 in Bart Torvik's projections. They fired uh, Chris Goyak. They had a bunch of roster turnover. You know, that's a program in transition. If you're Missouri, that's a win you should pick up in Columbia is Utah. And Iowa State is projected at 190 in Torvik. They've just made a change with TJ Otzelberger. Like, that's a win on the road that you should feel okay about if Missouri's in pretty good health, you know, you know what Zoe's put together. So to me, the really the games that I, I sort of zero in on are the SMU, Wichita State, and Liberty games in non-con. Those kind of feel like the three swing games to me, but that's just off the top, and I don't know if, if that sounds right to you or if that sounds reasonable to you. Well, I mean, I have my well-known at this point uh, <laughs> issues with the Liberty game. Like I, I don't think there's any reason why any self-respecting university should be stepping foot on campus at, you know, Jerry Falwell University. Um, with that being said, Missouri scheduled this game, um, you know, and so now they're they're having to go into a place that doesn't get a lot of games like this, um, and like you said, it you know. A, for for all of his uh, questionable decisions in taking a job at Liberty, um, you know, Rich McKay does has done a good job of building that program and and uh, and being a Tony Bennett disciple. You know that, and we saw last year that beating Liberty even on your home floor is not an easy thing to do with and a veteran so, team. With a veteran team, like they're just a really, really difficult team to play. Now, does that mean that Missouri can't go on the road to Liberty and beat them in their place? Like Missouri has more talent um, than Liberty does. Missouri has guys who are, 
you know, going to compete in the SEC, and and Liberty has a team that's probably going to win. What are they in the A Sun? Yeah, they'll probably be the A Sun favorite. Um, but by no stretch is this, you know, anywhere close to a game that I would put down as like a game that they should win because of all of those other factors. Um, and you know, and. If, if this was a different uh, mid-major, I would feel like, hey, man, like I, I'm all for scheduling that game. If it's UAB, if it's uh, like, yeah, let's let's go play AK, you know? Um, but, I mean, that, that, that school is, is founded on a lot of horrible things, and I just, I, I really hate that they're playing this game. So, the... The Wichita State game, though, you can like that one, though. That That's going to be a fun one. I, I think Wichita State has got a little bit more stability this year, and they made it tough on Missouri last year and when they were in. Well, they were. I mean, they, they made the NCAA tournament. Yeah, they that what Isaac Brown did there was just phenomenal. I'm glad that they gave him the job there. with. And I really every, hope he gets it going. Like, yeah. like Wichita State, I mean, Greg Marshall is a shithead and all that kind of stuff aside. Uh, I mean, it's a really, really strong. It's a uh, it's a basketball loving. It's community. a high major program, and yeah. and really like historically, I mean, they've they've usually been pretty good. Um, you know, like Greg Marshall, what he did is he he took a a pretty good program and and, and made it more of a national program. He got and, that Charles Koch money too. I mean, yeah, I mean, I mean, having uh, having the Koch brothers basically in your backyard certainly helps. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of schools that that benefit from uh, having a wealthy donor hanging around uh, or two. Um, but yeah, so like, I do think that, but I I still think like Wichita State at home that's a game you should you should win. Um, maybe it's a it's a feistier game, uh, you know, but but. Yeah, they they lost a few guys as well, and uh, and even though I, I like you, I'm happy Isaac Brown got the job. Uh, happy they rewarded him for taking the job in a really really difficult situation and a team that wasn't really projected to make the NCAA tournament. They made the NCAA tournament. Um, but I still like that's a game that that Missouri should win. I if 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 they lose that game, then I I think you're you're not going to be very pleased with how the rest of non conference goes. Um, you know, considering there are, there are better teams uh, down the line, you're going to bank three wins out of the gate, and those middle three games, of, middle four games from games four to seven, are probably before, wor- before you get to KU. Yeah, I'm not even counting Eastern Illinois in that stretch. There are four bankable wins here, and really the question is, where are you going to pull? You know, we'll even say that if you give Utah and Iowa State to them, there's maybe six. Where are you going to find two to three other wins on the schedule? It's probably somewhere in that SMU, Wichita State, Liberty realm. So those are the games I kind of key on early. Um, plus, if you're nine and three coming out of non-con, um, that's going to be impressive. Missouri's typically um, under Conzo played top seventy-five non-con schedules, so Missouri will historically, at least with this staff, play schedules that are going to set them up for Q1 and Q2 opportunities. So if you're 9-3 and three against a schedule, that's probably going to wind up being somewhere between like 50 and 70th, I would say, in like SOS. 
and you can bank that kind of wins in there. Maybe you're not getting some top, top-end wins. That's okay because the SEC is going to give you other opportunities for that. But realistically, if you could, if SMU could find a way to be a top 100 team, if Wichita State's a top 75 or top 50 team, if Liberty is a top 75 team, you're going to be able to pick your way to some solid wins there and then hopefully, you know, see what you can do in in conference play. But to me, like eight and five would sort of be like the median expectation with this schedule. But I don't know what if you think that's a good place to sort of peg expectations. Well, and we are sort of including um, Iowa State, uh, which th- that game doesn't happen until late January. Uh, but it's definitely, uh, I mean, Iowa State certainly had its struggles. Um, they have uh, Desiree Reed Francoise, hand picked uh, head coach leading their program now in uh, Otzelberger. Otzelberger. Um, TJ Otzelberger. Uh, and so he's got a pretty big task ahead of him. I mean, the Big 12 is going to be tough again this year. And and I can certainly see by the time, you know, Missouri travels to Ames that that program could be reeling a little bit. Uh, but also, I, I think that's if you're looking at what is and is in a, a winnable game, I think that's a winnable game. And, and I think at this point, the only... Uh, you know, and, and I, I think when, anytime you enter into like the rivalry realm, you will always want to kind of do the whole quote, throw the records out the window. Uh, you don't know what's going to happen. Um, like I don't really think there should ever be any expectation that this Missouri team should beat Kansas and Allen Fieldhouse this year. No. Um, knowing what, uh, what self has uh has done this off season as far as retooling his his roster and and all that kind of stuff like they're gonna be pretty good and uh uh i i that's that's gonna be an interesting game to watch because i do think that that's sort of you know i feel like Conzo's teams always kind of come out ready to play yeah but do you feel like i feel like bill's gonna have some pent up thoughts and feelings if i if i could just like i mean of all the college basketball coaches who you like, who you know, is there anyone who is like, like less likable? I mean, uh, Which Will, Wade, you, Will Wade not included. I mean, people speak, say Bill as like a personality is really great. Um, See, so. he comes across as like this to me uh, as he like it, it's almost like that sort of like fake aw shucks. Uh, bullshit, which I just I like. I I just can't stand. Well, there's like the well-worn thing of like what Bill does, which is they will like they'll win a close game, like a, that maybe they shouldn't be so close against an overmatchman major downfield house, and he'll shit talk the team. He'll be like, "Oh, we weren't focused tonight. We weren't focused." Then they'll like go play the rest of non-con. They'll put together some good wins, and then they'll like get to their first. Like an early non-con game, an early conference game at like Allen, like probably the third or fourth one, they'll lose, and then Bill will come in pissed off, and he'll like say, "This is the worst team we've had. They're terrible. I can't believe we're gonna be so crappy. We're in real trouble." And you know, he does a really great job, I think, of like lowering the bar enough to where they can, you know, 
He's just the worst. That's like that's the thing that annoys me. Like when he comes in in like January, like after they've only beaten like Oklahoma State by ten in Lawrence, and he's like, "This is the worst team I've had, and we're, we're just not anywhere we need to be defensively." And you're like, "Look at Ken Palm. They're like twenty eighth in defensive efficiency." You're like, "What are you talking about, Bill? You had an off night. Why are you crap? Why are you talking shit about your guys? Like he's, just he's just the worst. That's the only thing that gets me about Bill about is that stuff. Where like you can see the rhythms of like how he does that stuff, and the fan base buys it. But I could well, see so Bill- like like here's you know like like self. So here's the difference between like like because I, I think Calipari does the same thing. Uh, as far as like trying to lower expectations during the season or the early parts of the season. Um, and, you know, and then like at the end of the season when they've reeled off like 10 or 12 wins in a row, it's just like, ah, oh, you know, like it's just, you got, you got a young team and sometimes they, it takes them a while to figure it out. And it's, it's all that kind of stuff that like that, that doesn't bother me um, because I always feel like Cal is Cal. Well, like, like Cal, well, you also know Cal's rhythms are different. Like, they're gonna, they will probably win one of the State Farm classic games, or they'll win one of the Vegas games. <laughs> they'll, they'll win some early, early game against a really good opponent. Everybody will overreact. Then yeah. they'll look like a young team that's struggling throughout like November, December, and then like they go through Camp Cal right after like finals week. They play Louisville. They start to look really dangerous against Louisville. <laughs> And then, like, SEC play gets here. They kind of stumble around for the first two or three games of SEC play, and then, like, something clicks by, like, mid- around the time of the SEC Big 12 Challenge. But, like, Cal, what I appreciate about Cal is Cal's like, it's a young team. We're figuring out our identity. It's, like, guys are doing stupid stuff, but sometimes they're doing really great. Like, he always strikes me as, like, a first-grade teacher who's just really thrilled <laughs> at watching his kids, like, learn and screw up and, like, finger paint. And that's why I kind of like give Cal a pass because Cal like walks in like and he's always sort of like really trying to like boost his guys and like trying to talk about what they're learning. Like he will like he mixes in enough optimism where it's like when Bill walks in in January, it's just a curmudgeonly like middle school teacher who's pissed off he has to be there at all. So it's just a little bit different in disposition. Well, I also think like like Cal has never like hid what his approach is and the fact that he's not there to educate kids. He's there to turn them into pros. Like, yeah. like that, that has been his, his shtick all along. Like he's just, and I, I appreciate that. And I think that's why Bill self like drives me crazy because he, he tries to do like the Conzo Martin thing where Conzo is, is always talking about building young men. And the thing is, is like Conzo uh Conzo lives that you know what I mean like you can see through his actions that he is about that life um now yeah sure sure it, it helps that you're making you know three million dollars a year or whatever uh but with with Bill like Bill plays that role but it's it's all it's all bull it's all fake and <laughs> it's like so and I, again, I like, like I've said before, off. and I will always say, like, he is one of uh, the best basketball coaches uh, of our lifetime. He is an incredible basketball coach. The record of achievement is is pretty much unparalleled because things that I value, uh, I, like I value conference championships because I think that that takes a lot 
more work and effort than winning a national title. Winning a national title is about getting hot at the right time and having your draw work out for you. It's there's a lot of luck involved. Um, but winning a conference title and winning that many conference titles in a row is, is about work. And so from that aspect, like I really respect the job that he's done. I just think he's, he's a bullshit artist and he's a, a, a fake and a terrible person. And I would, nothing would make me happier than, than to watch, you know, Kanza Martin take this, this ragtag bunch of under-recruited freshmen and, uh, and mid-major transfers up into Allen Fieldhouse and beat uh, this team that a lot of people have uh, as a Final Four favorite going into the year. Yeah, but I think Bill's going to be upset when he has to play this game because I don't think he wanted to play this game at all. Two, I think there'll be some ancillary leftover feelings from... Oh, and and his whole conference is falling apart because uh, because... The reason he's so pissed at Missouri is because they left. And he's like, ah, oh, you know, they they left. They chose to leave, blah, blah, blah. And now Texas and Oklahoma have done the same thing. Because, and really, like, here's the, the news flash for, for Bill Self is, like, nobody cares about basketball. You and I very clearly care about basketball. We love basketball. I wish that basketball was the primary focus of all universities. But it's not. Football is. And <laughs> and your league is falling apart at the seams because football's king. Nobody cares about your your dumb sport, Bill. Uh, so cry and be mad about it. The more interesting rivalry game to me is the Illinois one. Just Matt, you're trying to get me off. Uh, no, no, I I. I... Like, I, I, I just keep coming back like the, like from and you, you know this is what the listeners want is like is like me just going in hard on on what a fraud bill self is i mean uh, but I, I do agree with you but as a matter of fact that the illinois game has a lot more intrigue because that roster is turned over uh but they're still bringing back uh curbello and and kofi and frazier i think frazier's coming back too frazier came back yeah He's gonna he's gonna play that uh, that eighth he, year, huh? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and they added like Omar Payne. They've got a couple good freshmen coming in. Like they're gonna be a good team, I, I think. That but the Omar, one, Omar Payne's one of those guys that I, I just couldn't quite crack it. And then Colin Castleton passed him. And well, he's he's uh, he is what it is. He's he's uh, he's a good shot blocker. He's a He's, a, he's gonna he's be a, a he's gonna be a more athletic replacement for uh, Bazanjavili. So we we lose Gorgie, but uh, Georgie, but we get uh, Omar Payne in there. But that Illinois is interesting because would you like? Wouldn't you rather have Georgie? Like, look, I love what he does at the elbow. I love skill. Look, you know how much I love Georgie Benjavili at the elbow <laughs> doing his work. I love him, but he ain't there no more. So we move on to Omar Payne. Omar Payne. Who, but yeah, Brad's entire staff is turned over, which is he hired uh, Chester Frazier. Good pickup, good pickup. And did he hire Pickens? He hired Pickens. Pickens, yeah, uh, a well-traveled recruiter in Southeastern Conference territory. Added Chester Frazier, and then I can't remember who else they added. They, they added lost the the um, the one dude to Gonzaga, Gonzaga. but he had been. A few he, guy and like had been a GA out there, like a man, like 
once that staff spot opened up, you could like tell he was probably yeah, gonna be. like that that was gonna happen. And then Cal, you know, went and pillaged him for Chin and for uh and uh to bring back Orlando and Tiqua. So just staff turnover there. It's gonna be interesting how that plays out, mostly because I think, you know, Chin and Orlando were adept at acquiring talent. Um well, and it is interesting because as we've kind of said on, on previous podcasts, like n- players don't really like Brad Underwood. Like there's nothing really to like about Brad Underwood. He's a good basketball coach, but he's it's, not like amenable or likable in any real stretch. It's like the re- everything, whenever they've re- recruited Metro East guys, you would always hear that like the assistants do the work and then they go on an unofficial and that's where Brad offers them. And, but like the relationship is primarily through the assistants at, you know, and that's not unfamiliar, but it seems like it skews more towards the assistant relationship there. And that matters when you're trying to go into Chicago and, and fight there and, you know, chin Coleman and ties to, you know, Mac Irvin up there are harder now. Um, and Orlando Tigua had connections like to New York City Rins and East Coast stuff. That's a little harder now. Um, it'll be interesting what happens with Chester Frazier coming in on staff. I do they look to go more into the southeast with Al Pinkins, um, who's just worked more in that stretch of the country. I think the farthest north I saw he'd been was like to North Carolina State. So he's very much a, a southeast guy. So do you see Illinois try and reach out of that footprint there? Um you know, do they try and swing back to the Metro East a little bit and try and get in there and, and operate and have that be a base? It's just going to be interesting to see how that staff pivots without Chester Brad Frazier there. is originally from, is, he's he's a Central Illinois guy, right? Yeah, yeah. So I think that's going to be interesting to see. Do they, you know, for a couple of years, you know, after EJ's class, they really looked north and they really went into Chicago obviously because of Coleman, but do they swing back south and into the mid part of Illinois and try and operate down there a little bit more? And, you know, I think they'll recruit the best in Chicago because that's what you, you know, you have to do, but are they going to, you know, focus a little bit more in central and, you know, Metro East area. So that'll just be interesting. Um, Both rosters losing some key pieces. Missouri's won three in a row there. Just, I think like you look at all kind of the, you take the border war aspect out of it, you just look at where those two programs are. That's they're both sort of in weird transition points. So I think that's going to be interesting. And it's also back in, you know, the 50 50 building again. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to, to what bragging rights looks like this year. Cause I think that that's a, that's a game that, you know, always sort of tilts on, you know, the margins there. Missouri's done a good job the last couple of years, I think out toughing Illinois, but this roster is entirely new. That continuity is gone. So just, if it seems like there's a year for Illinois to break the streak, this might be it. So that's it, it just a lot of fun storylines. And, and as subtext. long as Javon Pickett is on Missouri's roster, I, I like our chances. <sighs> Do you think, he might just take the extra year just so he could <laughs> get five just to make it just to make it five in a row and torture Brad <laughs> just to get five cracks at Brad. Probably. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I overall, um, we're going to, I like the non-con I, I said from the jump, I think there's, a great mix of teams here. Um, I think I'm going to get a lot of 
if they play Florida State, that's going to be a fun game. We we might see Cameron Fletcher of a Sean kid in that game. Uh, you know, Florida State's just going to be long, athletic. They are tougher than shit. I love watching. You know, his teams play. I love watching Leonard Hamilton's teams play junkyard dog defense. That's going to be a great one. SMU's been you know kind of a little bit all over the road the last couple of years under Tim Yankovic, but I think you know we'll see what they do this year. Just and you know I need to go back and look at Loyola Marymount, but they're a team that's you know made some steady progress in the West Coast Conference. They're you know they were a top 100 team in Kim Palm and Net last year. They're projected to be a top 75 team this year. They bring back a lot of production. So if LMU pulls an upset of Florida State. You're not getting, you know, a pretty soft mid-major there. You're getting a really, really experienced group that's probably going to be up there with Liberty in terms of, you know, knowing who they are, having chemistry, having continuity. So there's a lot of really interesting games here. I'm really glad that, you know, we'll see what happens given all the roster turnover and the change. But I like the schedule. I like the teams you're going to get to see. I think it's going to be a good barometer. I think you're going to come out of, you know, the first 11 games of the year and really have a good sense for where this team is and, and you know, what it's made of and sort of what the expectations are. And I, th- and I think that's just important, too, as, you know, we try and evaluate this roster and where it is. I'd rather see them against the best teams possible to really get a good gauge of of what this talent can do and where it is at this point. So overall, uh, just I think it's going to be a, a really, really good and fun, entertaining start to the season. So the plan for us is um, is we're very likely going to take the next podcast window off. So that would be in a couple weeks. I think it's. I think I said it was like the eighth. Is that right? Hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But anyway, uh, we're going to take a little time off, unless there is some kind of breaking news and we have to reconvene. But we are going to miss at least one one podcasting window uh, in the month of September. We're going to let your feed be a lot about football. Uh, Nate and BK, once the season kind of kicks off here, which is happening so soon, it's hard to believe. Um, Nate and BK are going to go to their uh, two per week. And, and so you'll have a lot of football uh, to listen to. Um Again, like if there's any breaking news, we will reconvene and we will we will talk about it. Um, but at this point, I think it's it's pretty likely that we're we're just gonna uh, wait until we know what Aiden Shaw's doing, and then we'll we'll connect and we'll podcast. Uh, so, sounds like a plan. Uh, and then yeah, and two weeks later, like we're looking at early October, and that's like starting to preview the season. Um, so we will be back uh, in short enough order. In the meantime, enjoy Nate and BK and before the box score and, and all of their uh, reviewing and previewing of, of Missouri football. Uh, if you have any issues, please send them all to Levi. Uh, Levi's doing a good job cutting together this podcast, making us sound uh, less idiotic than we normally sound, which I think is... Uh, high degree, man. We we sound pretty stupid most of the time. At least eighty percent of it. At least at least you do. I mean, I'm, I'm I'm assuming that I sound phenomenal and, and intelligent and wise and all those things. Uh, okay, that's all we've got. 
Thanks for tuning in, everybody. We will be back soon for episode three. Until then, thanks for tuning in.